You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on Tuesday morning, July the 20th, 2021. We have Southeastern Conference Media Days 2021 in full swing over in Hoover, Alabama. We'll have a lot of SEC Media Days talk for you here on the podcast. We'll have some recruiting talk as well. Travis Ryer joined by Bama Online site publisher. Tim Watts. Tim, uh, it's here, man. I mean, when we get to SEC Media Days, whether you actually enjoy the event or not, you got to love what it symbolizes, what it signifies, and that's the start of another college football season. Yeah, I enjoy all the people that get excited about it. You know, I get friends texting me, it's here, and even, you know, adults, you wouldn't think. they. It's like they just quietly didn't expect it to come, and then when they (laughs) – and me, I mean, I was flooded with you know, with text and calls and discussions about the seasons here. Can you believe it? And I said, Yeah, it happens every literally every year. But you it's can almost set your watch by it. You know, yeah, fun to have them all excited about it, though. You know, because we get, you know, we're in the media, so for us, it's just, you know, covering sports, cover recruiting, and the teams almost like Groundhog's Day, but over a year. It's basically we're in the same spot one year. Ago today, we were in almost the same spot, and then next year we'll be in the same spot. So we get so numb to it. But yeah, it's an exciting time. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's here. And don't get us wrong, we like our downtime. We like our downtime. We need our downtime. But when SEC Media Days rolls around, it is somewhat of a relief for what we do because, well, there's no shortage of topics at that point, there's no shortage of potential content items and it's a big big help to us and what we do and we love bringing it to our subscribers there at bamaonline.com something else we do a lot of year-round at bol is college football recruiting coverage and if you joined us late last week which i'm sure you did here on the bama online podcast we talked about the commitment of img academy four-star offensive lineman tyler booker to the University of Alabama. Booker, Alabama's 11th commitment for the 2022 cycle. Alabama now, uh, Tim, up to number six in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Uh, I know Hank had an update for us on BOL that Booker does, in fact, plan to attend the upcoming Champions Cookout on July the 31st uh, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Let's talk about a roadmap. For the offensive line position in particular, Tim, when you look ahead and understanding Booker is, in fact, the first OL commit for this class, still a lot of a lot of heavy lifting to be done in that area. You talk about a couple of five stars and Zach Rice, Devin Campbell, Dane Shore, a Georgia prospect that has Alabama high on his list still out there as well. Ideally, Tim, how does the rest of this OL class sort of fill out? Maybe, maybe even just in terms of numbers this time around. Yeah, I think after last year's haul, there's a lot of flexibility here. Obviously, you want to get guys uh, in every class of the offensive line. Probably four, I would think, would be a minimum three to four uh, on a lower year. But when you get a guy like Tyler Booker, and we've discussed this a few a few times, when you're following on the heels of uh, you know J.C. Latham, Brocker Meyer, even Terrence Ferguson, who I think is comparable to Tyler Booker because they can play multiple positions. Tyler comes in with that ability where he can play on the edge, can play on the inside, uh, might actually project better there because of his build. But you're getting that kind of guy, that kind of flexibility. So last year's class was really strong, obviously. So this year you can be a little bit more picky. You know, again, you want to always add offensive linemen. If they're tackle size and can play inside, you know, that's the best of both worlds. Absolutely. So you said it a couple of OL classes here in the last three years or so that historically speaking rank favorably in what Alabama has been able to do 
up front. Let's get into some SEC Media Days talk, Tim. Uh, the event returning to Hoover, sort of forced to adjust here as we move through the pandemic of COVID-19. So appropriately enough, like a mama, a Southern mama, uh, with the warm embrace of its long departed son and or daughter, uh, there for the SEC when it was forced to make the move back to Hoover somewhat midstream. And so I want to ask you about Hoover. You know, if you if if you're looking for something to do in Hoover, Alabama, Tim, where are we starting with Hoover? I mean, if we're not talking about the SEC media days, which unfortunately this time around fans aren't allowed inside the hotel itself in the lobby area. They're pretty much limited to the outdoor area of the hotel. Uh, what are we doing in Hoover with Tim Watts on a, I don't know, Friday night? You know, the thing with Hoover's odd for me because like Hoover was the place to be when I was growing up. So for me, there's my Hoover and then there's my children's Hoover, which was a totally different animal. I mean, back when we were growing up, I mean, the, you know, the, the best movie theaters were there. And I remember how sad I was when my wife asked me to go uh, shopping for furniture when we got our second house, our first new one. And I went to the old movie theater. It was a furniture store. I was pissed. <laughs> I didn't even know it. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I don't. I haven't been there in a while. But over there on Lorna Road, it was a. It's a. Uh, it's a furniture store. I said, "Holy crap!" I went to a million movies here. So we had that. We had putt putt golf. We had so much to do. It's different now. I'm sure. You know, for me, the highlight of going to Hoover would probably be going to Tortugas Pizza over there. They have one of the mm-hmm. best style pizza but really i mean that you know i was there the day the gallery opened almost failed sophomore year because my health teacher gave us a bunch of tests to tell encouraging us not to skip so i snuck by there but um you you know just for feet we were talking about that before the show there was one of the most elite uh tennis shoe stores in the world i mean even you know i've seen a lot of stores my oldest son He's big into the shoes and uh, and all the style and stuff. So I've seen stores uh, where they keep the shoes wrapped up, and you can, you know, in New York City especially, they they excel in excellent stores like that. But just for feet back in the day, remember you remember the big Shack shoe? They had, yes, they had. It was what in a Converse weapon? Yeah, I want to say, stuff, yeah, but, yeah, that sounds right. It was huge. I mean, it was a massive shoe. It really put in perspective what that guy was work looking for they had a basketball goal in there uh people famous people came in and autographed the wall so now you know i haven't really did a lot of stuff i mean i like the pizza over there go to the galleria very rarely i think there's a top golf there though um and a walk-ons now but i haven't really went to hoover just to hang out you know outside yeah. of ball game in a while yeah uh just for feet was awesome especially if you also didn't live in the area of Hoover or even Alabama in general, because, you know, being a young person in Northeast Florida, a lot of summers and family reunions in May, we would go up to Walker County for family reunion, Mother's Day weekend, first Sunday and first Saturday in May. Um, Decoration Day, as they call it in Alabama, there at the cemetery there in, in the Jasper area. But I would always make a trip side trip if it had to be to just for feet because i could go in there and get a pair or two of kicks and bring them back to jacksonville and i could promise you tim no one else in duval county had those shoes that's how extensive the selection was and you're right there wasn't the internet back then so we weren't all fishing from the same pond like we do now for anyone who never went to this, it was all from the gallery. If you're familiar with it in Hoover, if you're facing the Galleria from the main road, it was off to the right, separated from the Galleria. And it was hard to park. It was hard to get to. And it was almost always crowded when it first opened. And for several years after, and you walked in and it was just basketball shoes all over the place. Jerseys uh, were there, not as much as the basketball shoes, but shoes all over the place, on the walls, hanging up. Basketball court. Michael Jordan seems like was in there a few times when he's with. Yeah, the- they would bring in NBA stars yeah, for appearances, they, right? They had that wall that had all those autographs on there. I know Charles Barkley was there, Jordan with the Barons, obviously Shaquille O'Neal. It was a huge deal, 
And for anybody living in that Northeast area, New York or or uh, D.C. or Boston or Philadelphia, they're used to those kind of stores. This store was way ahead of its time, especially for the state of Alabama. You know, people don't realize that. And young people now, if you tell them, independently own, first and foremost, sporting goods stores, Tim. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Uh, grew up with those. If you wanted a baseball glove where I grew up, you went to Charlie Coleman's or you went to Boyko's. You didn't go to Dick's. You didn't go to Academy, which are fine. But back in the 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, the independently owned sporting goods shoe store uh, was what you did. And I actually met Magic Johnson and Dominique Wilkins wow. at an appearance in the in the mid-80s, I want to say, wow. uh, at an independently owned sporting goods store. I mean, this place wasn't a quarter of the size, an eighth of the size of, say, a Dick's, but they had a thing with Converse, I guess, as a supplier, and I'm sure paid a fee on top of that, and you walked in, and there were Dominique and Magic Johnson in this broom closet-sized office of this independently-owned sporting goods store signing autographs or just doing a meet-and-greet, just totally different era. Oh, yeah, totally different. Um, you see that you still watch some of those old shows. If you're watching the old shows uh, set in the 80s and 90s, a lot of the times uh, the one of the people will own a – or it seems like one of the people will own a sporting goods store. Even in uh, Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell and Robert Duvall, he owned that sporting goods store. So mm-hmm. that was that was days where you walked in and the owner was there, hired young kids to work with him, could help you pick the glove. Help you break the glove in. <laughs> yeah, oil it, do he, all that stuff. Go out in the uh, parking lot and throw balls to you. So uh, had that old school foot measuring device, you know, that you'd put your foot in and get the exact measurement of your foot size for your ball cleats. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that was like a that was like an event in the lead up to another season. You know, the folks or whoever would take you to the sporting goods store and get you ready to go uh, for another season. And uh, you talk about just for feet. We're talking about things to do in Hoover. Well, you got to go to a Hoover Bucks football game. I know you've done that. I've done that there at the old Met, uh, the SEC baseball tournament at the Met. You talked about restaurants in Hoover uh, and you outlined sort of old Hoover versus new Hoover. And my most extensive interaction with Hoover's probably been more since the turn of the century so with our kids, when they were younger, you know how it's tough to get kids to eat much. But one thing we could always get them to eat for the most part was rattlesnake pasta at Jay Alexander's, which I think is still there. Still there as a standalone restaurant in the parking lot of the Galleria. So uh, that one stands out for me a little bit. And then when you talk about Hoover football, you're talking about that region of death uh, that you're very familiar with, certainly with your location and your ties to Thompson High School. And, uh, wow, you consider another season coming up, high school football season upon us, Tim. And that region of death in 7A with Thompson and Hoover and Spain Park. And now you got Adam Weingarten going from Auburn to Tuscaloosa County in that region, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's some – See some great football games, football team, a lot of talent. You know, Hoover's been down compared to where it was, you know, especially when we started in this business and the Probst era, they were at a, another level. And then um, early in the Niblet era, they're still a good team, still competitive team, have a lot of talent. Uh, it's just, you know, who, you know, Thompson's a buzzsaw right now. I is mean, it going to be Thompson again, you think? I mean, is that is it, that what we just need to start with is Thompson every year now? I mean, they, they they have an elite coaching staff. They have unbelievable talent. They work hard. You know, I stress that enough because I see it. I drive. I can drive by. I can go to the circle. I go get a Mountain Dew, and there, you know, I can see kids out there working. So I know the work they put in. Even if my kids didn't go to the school, but I know they go to the school and know some of the players. So obviously, we know the work that goes in. My youngest son is a ninth grader. Um, uh, not really a player, but loves being on the team. He's not as dedicated as my as my second son was. Well, actually, he's more dedicated. He's not as big as he was, I should say. My second son, who's playing college baseball, gifted. And uh, um, my youngest son, Graydon, 
is just a workhorse. He's a smart one. You you know who he is, and he uh, he's on that team. Yeah. And they work. I mean, they do seven on seven, and they you know so they starts at the lower levels, and they're coached hard, and the coaches are great. You know, they're hard. They are. It's a hard program. Um, they push you really hard, but they're great one-on-one with the kids. They're great at answering questions for the kids. Parents, like as a parent, I've never really even had to talk to the coaching staff, which would have been awkward to have to talk to any really coach from a dad's standpoint, considering what I do. So I appreciate the program here and what they do, um, sort of that open door policy. And when I talk to, you know, when I talk to Graydon, and uh, he's already got the answers to his questions without, you know, dad having to step in. So definitely a good program. I mean, a lot of these programs in this area are really good, though. I mean, um, Hoover's always been a good program. The talent's just down. And if you don't really have that quarter, you know, it's turned into almost like college or maybe more the NFL. If you don't have your quarterback, you're going to have trouble <clears throat> winning football games. And Thompson's had a really good string of good quarterbacks, really good quarterbacks that fit in their offense. With Talia Sawyer Pate, who's a walk on at Auburn, and now Connor Harrell, who's committed to Thompson. So they've had a good succession here of like four years of uh, really good uh, quarterback play. Especially with the offenses that the primary contenders in that region were talking about employ, right? I mean, when I think Hoover, I think quarterback centric offense. Thompson has become that, Hewitt Trustful. Uh, I guess maybe Oak Mountains in that region and is more or has been more of a triple option type offense in the past. So that makes it especially difficult to compete in just, again, a brutal region. And think of it this way, Tim. Adam Weingarten goes from losing that excruciating state final in 7A, I guess, last December. Just absolute heartbreaking fashion how Auburn lost um, in that game to Thompson and give Thompson all the credit didn't fold up, stayed in it and maximize the opportunity. But now he goes from that to Tuscaloosa County where he's going to see these teams like Thompson on an annual basis and kind of feel for Tuscaloosa County because enrollment wise, they haven't been nearly at the level of say Hoover for sure. And some of those other teams in that region uh, they would really benefit, I think, if they could just drop down. If they were a little bit lower enrollment, could go down to 6A and be in a Tuscaloosa-based region with like Hillcrest and Northridge and those teams. But that hadn't been the case. You ready for high school football now that we've kind of touched on that a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to a more normal year. Was happy just to get any football in last year. You know, we, you know, there was questions and I still saw a film of kids, not so much in the state of Alabama. I think that was relatively normal. But I saw kids in other places playing four games or five games and just didn't look to have the same feel or the same vibe. And kids are like, you know, kids are like adults. They're used to the same thing. Their bodies get in tune to waking up at 6.10 to go to school. They're used to being in spring practice at a certain time. They're used to an off season at a certain time. So when you had those kids playing sports in, in March and April, you know, it threw them off a little bit. You could tell from their film, there was just a little bit different. So this year I'm hoping everybody's back on the same, same schedule and the same path. And we're going to see a lot more of the, the great football players across the nation. So we've got good pizza. We've got rattlesnake pasta. We've got the Hoover Met to do some things. I spent a lot of time at Hoover Soccer Club with the oldest daughter uh, and the Phantoms there at Hoover Soccer Club about seven or eight, ten years ago. So we have some familiarity with Hoover. And speaking of Hoover, that's where Nick Saban and the Alabama contingent will make their appearance at 2021 SEC Media Days on Wednesday. Tim, I wanted to get into Alabama's player reps for Media Days as recruits. And we'll start with John Mechie, a modest four-star at the time, ranked the number 275th overall prospect for the class of 2019. I guess part of that may have been he had been so many different places literally since birth. I mean, this is a guy who was born in Taiwan, moved to Ghana, eventually to Canada at the age of six. And then for high school, he moved to Hagerstown, Maryland and St. James School there. And that's before he went to the Petty School in New Jersey for his final year of prep football. The Petty School actually known more 
as a prep school, as a uh, postgraduate type situation uh, where football and academics are concerned and had some nice stats uh, throughout his high school career. But uh, a guy who's ob- obviously flourished. What, what do you recall about John Mechie and his recruitment and, and how he sort of made his way to Alabama? You know, with Mechie, there wasn't a, really a lot of drama with him. It was very quiet, very subdued. What was interesting with with the 19 class was how the wide receiver groups were panning out. They, they finished on the hills. Two years earlier, they signed the big threesome with Ruggs and Judy and uh, Smitty. <clears throat> Next year, they add Waddle, which is really four of the best signees in the history. I mean, I think most people consider them one class. I know mentally, it's, sometimes I do, but you had those guys – really intimidating a lot of people. And, you know, after their freshman year, we knew what the big three were going to be. We knew they were monsters. So you add in, throw in Waddle, come in. The 2019 class wasn't expected to be a big wide receiver year, but it was really controversial. They had George Pickens in state. Alabama had him in camp, didn't love the way he ran, Um, worried about academics. He came into camp a couple of times. And, uh, you know, obviously ended up at Georgia, but he was a guy constantly talked about. I think Alabama went a little bit back and forth on what to do there because you loved his catch radius. You loved the fact he's 6'4". Didn't have great get-off speed, but he had great uh, uh, closing speed, right-out speed. The guy can run. He's a big, long guy, catches everything thrown to him. Um, but again, a little bit slower than they wanted out of the gate, a little worried about academics. They bounced around with Justin Ross, who I think they were in pretty good shape for, <clears throat> a wide receiver who went to Clemson um, from uh, Central Phoenix City. But remember, that's the year Derek Ansley left Alabama. So that was the big relationship there. I think at the end, Clemson, Dabo went out, flipped him. So really, it was a one wide receiver class, and Mechie wasn't talked about a lot sort of just walked through the motion. I think all the crystal balls were were headed towards him. We were predicting him to come. And again, quietly, not not even I'm looking at his ranking now, not a top two four seven player. Obviously underranked in hindsight. Um forty second wide receiver in the country. Just very quiet. And it's it's gonna be good to see this sort of be his year because he is you know, you talk about somebody patiently waiting. He hasn't really had the career of a Mac Jones uh, you know, because Mac really didn't play much at all. Mechie's had his moments, but it's sort of the same chance for him where Mac finally took over as that leader. And I think Mechie can do that on the at the wide receiver position. I think a lot of eyes will be on him. No doubt about that. The expectation being that John Mechie absolutely will be the leader of this 2021 wide receiver core. And he had a really good year. In 2020, over 900 receiving yards, over 50 catches, really number one receiver type stats anywhere else, but behind Devontae Smith. Devontae was so, so good, so historically productive in 2020 that it sort of overshadowed Mechie's performance. You know, what also overshadowed him was the fact that his hit in the SEC championship game that caused the fumble and interception has been his most talked about play. Um, so you're almost you're almost consider him everybody. If you ask Mechie what play you remember about Mechie, they'll say that play. It's almost like he was a safety. Don't get me wrong; it was a monster hit. It was uh, it was a I better get this ball back somehow, some way kind of hit. So um, definitely that sort of hurt him. But he's got a chance this year to come out. I mean, I've seen the I mean I've seen some of the mock drafts and some of the mock drafts guys say shit that makes me want to mock them, but. Um, I mean, I saw one guy say mockery, mockery drafts. Yeah. One guy said he's going to be one NFL. They always hide behind the anonymous NFL scout told him he's going to be better any than any, any of the previous four wide receivers. Ooh. Nobody said that. Nobody said, you know, how hard it is to be better than those four that Alabama just hired had. They had guys going from six to what? Twelve. Where did Judy go? Fourteen, twelve. Yeah. Historic all time. Yeah. Six to fourteen or sixteen, twelve range. It's hard to get better than that. As good, a different story. But obviously, he has a chance to step out. A lot of pressure, um, you know, being the guy. Great freshman groups coming in. Um, you know, we've seen Hall step up. Obviously, Jamison Williams from Ohio State's got a chance to play, and he's drawing good reviews. But no, there's no doubt that it's it's going to be Mechie's team. You know, he had a few drops last year. You know, if you want to be critical, so did Julio Jones, but he's a big bodied guy, willing blocker, 
and um, he's trouble with the ball in his hands. So it's a good opportunity for him. You know, we were talking about Thompson High School just a few moments ago, and now we're talking about the Petty School in relation to John Mechie, and it brings to mind Thomas Rayum, former Alabama defensive lineman, best known for that desperation block of the Penn State field goal up in State College in 1989, kept that undefeated season to that point alive. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with T.J. Rayum, Thomas's son. He he went to the Petty School and worked out pretty well for him now at Boston College. I'm familiar with the dad. He's been around this program at Thompson a while. Uh, ran into him at U. I'd seen him on the sidelines. I talked to him once, but it was it was everybody was sitting down. But I ran into him at UAB. I think I was up there for for my mom or something, and he came walking out. Big, massive dude. One of the nicest guys you'll ever see. Um, but yeah, his son went to UAB as a linebacker, and he was mm-hmm. he was a, another son at Boston College. I was more familiar with the the UAB son. He was a little monster. You know, that's one of those guys, two inches taller. He'd have had, you know, several more offers. So, uh, yes, definitely a good family and a good dude. Yeah. John Mechie, an early enrollee, as we recall, at Alabama. In January of 2019, four months later, he's the A-Day MVP with all those wide receivers that Alabama had at the time. It was Mechie in his very first A-Day who was – very, very impressive. Teaming up with a backup quarterback by the name of Mac Jones in that A-Day game uh, a couple of years ago. Let's talk about Fedarian Mathis. He'll be the defensive rep for Alabama at 2021 SEC Media Days as a recruit, a top 100 prospect out of Monroe, Louisiana, class of 2017. And Man, we talk about Monroe, and you can go back to, I guess, Saban's first class. I believe Luther Davis, Monroe guy, West Monroe. You got a lot of West Monroe in there, too, with guys like Cam Robinson, uh, Slade Bolden. uh, But a Neville High School product in Fedarian Mathis, school that also produced Hootie Jones back in 2014. Yeah, you know, thing with Mathis is he was one of those Louisiana kids and a lot of those guys sort of come in and, you know, they really don't want to talk a lot because they catch a lot of heat in the state of Louisiana. You know, they, I mean, that's probably the norm anywhere um, you catch a lot. I don't know if it's heat so much as people buy. You know, a lot of the kids have explained it to me like back in the day they said they couldn't go rent a video without somebody telling them where to go to school or, or you know, War Eagle, Roll Tide, Go Tigers, whatever the case may be. I think that's what they mean. I don't think people are trying to headlock these kids into going to a school it's some big kids to be bullying <laughs> you know what i mean but uh, he was one of those guys that was pretty quiet came in with a loaded loaded class i mean i guess we'll be debating you know 15 years from now we'll figure out which one of these classes were the best but 2017 certainly you know that group with uh what was that the uh, naji two of that group came mm-hmm. in and this is another guy he's been here longer than you really expected i mean this is a fifth year guy um Came in as a top 100 recruit, and to be such a big guy, to be such a such a uh, not quite a dancing bear, but to be in that group where he could push somebody uh, around and, and a guy Alabama valued, it was a pretty quiet recruitment. And you know, the thing that was kind of very unique, not kind of, was he committed at the cemetery. I believe he committed at the graveyard of his cousin who had been killed, and uh, it's the first of its kind. You know, I think at first people thought it was like a trick or a ploy because it was very odd when we heard about it, but we quickly realized the story there, very emotional. LSU was involved. TCU was involved. So, you know, you know, this is another guy that's quietly and patiently waited his turn, never hit the portal, you know, never transferred or anything else. So, you know, this will be a, uh, another chance for, you know, a, a guy to step in and make a name for himself. Yeah. You think about guys from the 2017 class and I think the perception by a lot of folks is that, well, that came to an end with that 2020 team, when in reality, you think about it, from that 2017 class, Tim, you still have Fedarian Mathis around, Christopher Allen, LeBrian Ray, Kendall Randolph, and Brian Robinson. I mean, we're talking about guys that both tangibly and intangibly could play very, very important roles, just about pretty much all of them for this upcoming season. Yeah, and as we've seen, Alabama had those guys that make it. You know, a lot of the talent's gone after the third year 
obviously, um, most of these guys are making good decisions, business decisions on when to when to go pro. I think the Alabama staff does a good job on helping advise them too. But when you see these guys step in, like you know, Mac Jones is obviously a guy we've seen um, who who waited his turn and stepped in at the right moment and benefited from it. We've seen these guys in their fourth or fifth year really pay off with the experience. They're battle tested. They're, you know, they're, they're less likely to clown around. They're less likely to take things for granted because there's a certain urgency there um, of it's my time and I'm going to capitalize on get capitalize on it. You know, it's interesting with both Mechie and Mathis, when you look at the UA assistants at the time that were involved in their respective recruitments and, it sort of underscores the change that this Alabama staff has almost on an annual basis, but Alabama still able to get both these guys into the mix. Mechie based on his 24 seven sports uh, profile as a recruit, uh, primary recruiter, Josh Gaddis. Uh, secondary was Mike Loxley. That makes sense given the ties that Gaddis had to that area up that way, certainly with Loxley and his ties um, to the state of Maryland with uh, Mechie in, in that area for four years as well. But, you know, a lot of change to the staff in that stretch and also with Fedarian Mathis because, um, you know, you had some, some guys that had typically done a strong job in Louisiana. Billy Napier, I think was involved in that area and then left to go to Arizona state as the offensive coordinator, uh, Carl Dunbar, uh, in that mix, I guess that helped his ties to the state of Louisiana, but I guess the one constant and all that too, Tim, uh, a guy by the name of Nick Saban. Yeah. You know, the assistants, you know, it's, you know, I'm torn because I'll see people oversimplify the, the assistants role. Now some assistants are greater than other when it, you know, speaking strictly of recruiters, which is mostly how I judge guys because I'm a recruiting guy. But, you know, a lot of people say, well, they come to play for Saban, and they do. There's no doubt they come to play for Nick Saban. They come to play for the University of Alabama. Huge selling points. That's the top two. But also the assistants do a ton of work that you really wouldn't be put in that position without them. Now, there are situations where a kid's coming. You know, it doesn't it, – you know, it wouldn't matter if I was recruiting them. And uh, – they're, they're coming just because they love Alabama, they love tradition, the NFL, and all that kind of stuff. But the assistants do a lot of work there in, in, in many cases. Dunbar, pretty quiet. You know, we barely got to know him. Didn't really have much of a recruiting impact. Uh, Gaddis, we, how long? He wasn't here very long at all. I think he uh, tweeted more than he coached. It out, he was here that long uh, before he headed for Michigan. So, um, you know, those are two examples of guys where it did, like with Loxley. Loxley obviously had the area on lock. Agatis is known as a really good recruiter, but again, he wasn't here very long and neither was Carl Dunbar. So let's get into the roundtable mailbag, Tim. Are you ready to do that? We can do that. Let's actually take a break right here. And when we come back, we'll get into the roundtable mailbag. We'll ask some questions of Tim, summer related questions of Tim. When the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer and site publisher Tim Watts with you on a Tuesday. We bumped the pot up a day. We usually do these on Wednesdays with Tim, but We've got Alabama's appearance at the 2021 SEC Media Day set for tomorrow. So a little bit of a preview of that for you. Of course, some recruiting talk as well. And, well, you know, we'll get a little irrelevant with you coming up in just a little bit. But we do have the Roundtable mailbag. We certainly appreciate folks joining us there on the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the world right there at BamaOnline.com. And so not a very heavy mailbag, but 
We love Gumpin 247, and he's got us covered on this Tuesday. He says when talking about things to do in Hoover, Alabama, golf is up there for him. He says there's a few awesome courses there. Yeah, you've got River Chase Country Club. You've got, I guess, Bentbrook. Bentbrook sort of qualifies as Hoover. Maybe more Bessemer, actually. But you've got some options on the golf course, so I can relate to that with you, Gumpin. No doubt about that. But the question for Gumpin 247 from the mailbag there on the roundtable, can you make the case this is the second most talented defense in the Nick Saban era at Alabama? Gumpin says he thinks 2016 is number one. You got to put 2011 in there somewhere, don't you, Tim? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to put them in there. There's a few others. 16, 15, um, 2009, the national championship. Yeah, team. that wasn't a bad defense. Oh, that that group was really good. I think, I think, I see the, I see this, and I get this asked a lot. I see the point. I think on paper, it it is a, it's a great talented group. I mean, we already saw the 16 group. We already saw 11. We already saw nine on on the on the field. So I think from a talent standpoint, probably not. To be honest with you, I mean, when I look at the, that group, I mean. I don't remember everybody on this 2016 off my head, top of my head. I just know it was a lot of monsters. Everybody you know? got drafted. I mean, it was basically. It's just, I mean, that that from, I mean, it, it's just the the players they were. You know, I mean, it was just Marlon and Mika. There were so many guys, Ruben, that were just different. You know, they they were they just didn't have the same DNA as most of us or the mental makeup of most of us. They were just extremely gifted. Now, this team obviously has a ton of talent. Um, a young talent. I don't think the linebackers are quite as good yet. Now, that's not to say that we saw last year heading into this season, we said going into it, Alabama needed an infusion of talent from the young guys, and they got it with Branch, and they got it with, uh, obviously, Will Anderson, and uh, Malachi Moore cannot sleep enough on, on how, I mean, speak enough on how much Malachi meant to the team. So they got that infusion. Now, if this, this comes in and you get a Deontay Lawson, you get some of these guys to come in, a Kool-Aid to lock down a position opposite, opposite Job. You get those guys to come in. We're going to start getting into the ballpark, but they're still going to be young and inexperienced. Um, I do think this is the most talent they've had since that that loss to Clemson, though, I do think top to bottom that roster is complete. And I think that was the goal after losing to Clemson, completely flipping the roster because we talked then and we talk now. That team didn't have – you didn't really have a lot of guys like uh, Trey – you know, Diggs went to the NFL and had competition and was much better in the NFL than I felt he was really his senior at Alabama. And I think a lot of it is he had no competition. And when you don't have any competition, there's just nothing to push you. You know, so there's I mean, you know, your position's locked down. You might be a workhorse and a grinder, but you can, you know, mentally it's hard to keep, you know, keep keep that ability when nobody you'd always run faster when somebody's chasing you. Right. You know, you always run. Usually. Yes. You. So I think with that case, I think it is the most talent on the field we've seen since that since that that last group that lost to Clemson. Yeah, 2016. Here's your tackles for loss leaders to sort of cement Gumpin's point about not just the talent, not just the first 11 on that defense, but the depth of that 2016 defense. Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, Jonathan Allen, Reuben Foster, Sean Dion Hamilton, Dalvin Tomlinson, Minka Fitzpatrick, Rashawn Evans, Deron Payne, and Deshaun Hand. All those guys, maybe Tim Williams isn't in the league right now, and Reuben, because he had the the catastrophic knee injury to go along with some other issues that he's dealt with in the last four or five years. But that's the 10 tackle for loss leaders. That's before you get into Marlon Humphrey, Eddie Jackson, Ronnie Harrison. The depth of that team on defense was extraordinary. And we talk about that though. and, and, And it's undeniable the depth, but that season in large part came down to, who they lost to injury when they lost Eddie Jackson, um, you know, and they needed a stop against Clemson in that national championship game there with two minutes to go. They, they just weren't able to come up with it. So sometimes it's not even how many guys you lose, as we saw, say, in 2017 and 2018, as it is who you lose. And uh, Eddie was a big part of that. 
Yeah, and that was the year most Maurice Smith transferred too, right? So that was another guy that would have had experience that had been. Didn't he leave for Georgia that year? Yes, I believe that is correct. That was another yep. guy that 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 uh, that Alabama could have used right there. Also, that game was one of the craziest games. If you go back and watch it, I don't think there's any doubt. I know Alabama was was moving pretty fast then, but if they're snapping that ball at 10 seconds, I think Alabama wins considerably because they really had Clemson on the ropes. I think the speed of the game actually wore the defense out. I know they played like 100 mm-hmm. hundred plus plays, and on that last play, they were spent. Uh, also, they had Deshaun Watson, who was just um, – I mean, that that the, the kid just was – and, I mean, and that's where we talk about the Bo Scarborough injury. I mean, there's so many what ifs. So that. that game was wild. The Clemson tight end had one of the most insane catches I've ever seen. Um, Ruben hit a man so hard I thought he was dead, and he got back up and continued playing. When he three three sixty, dude, that's absurd. Deshaun, that is yeah. a Deshaun Watson's a big dude to hit, yeah. spin him three helicoptered him. Yeah, yeah. So that was just, I mean, you know, it was a loss, obviously. That's one of the few Alabama losses I, I don't mind watching because there was so much insane talent on that field all over the place. And that Alabama defense was just that, you know, talent-wise, NFL, I think most of those guys are starting. You know, I know a few of them. Tim Williams is out and uh, Ruben, you know, Ruben's been injured and I'm not sure where he's at. But those guys, Anthony Everett was on that team. I mean, there was – Really good corner. So yeah. talent-wise on the field, yes, that, that to me is just going to – I'm not sure anybody's ever had that much talent on a defense, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think this 2021 defense is to be determined, but I think the potential's there. I, I need to see some star power emerge. I think depth on the defensive line uh, is a really strong attribute of this group, but you still need that guy on the inside that's going to be seven, eight, nine tackles for loss six, seven, eight sacks, because you know on the edges you're you're built to be dominant with Will Anderson and Christopher Allen, the inside linebackers, you're going to be elite with that trio that you have with the addition of Henry Toa Toa. Back end, um, you know, maybe it's going to be Jalen Armour Davis, maybe it's going to be Jaquincy Kool-Aid, as he's known now officially on the Alabama roster, McKinstry. You got good competition at that corner opposite Josh Job. I think Alabama's sub-package options may be the best of the Nick Saban era with Malachi Moore, Brian Branch. And I think DeMarco Ellums is a guy, I've said this for a while now, that people are sleeping on, haven't talked enough about because Jordan Battle is more the proven commodity at safety. But I expect DeMarco Ellums to emerge in his own right this year. And so, again, that speaks more to potential, I know. Uh, but it's there if they can get. Yeah, I'd agree. The potential is there, and and you if you hope they get near that 2016 level, and a lot of it's going to depend. Like you know, Timmy the Dancing Bear Smith, if he continues, exactly, he could be that guy inside. He could yeah. be Marcel Darius type role in that team. Drew Sanders, does he step in? Deontay Lawson, how good is he going to be? As good as we think he is as a freshman. Um, Jalen Moody is an impact guy. I don't know in what role. Uh, you know, you had Henry Toa Toa, which we're not even talking about, a very big experienced guy. But I still think Moody, the way he runs and has left. I mean, you got to say, when he played, every game you noticed 4-2. You noticed 42 on the field yep. every single game. When he was on the field, you didn't even – even if the announcers didn't tell you he was in, you'd say, oh, shit, there's Moody, he's in. Because he was it was Ar- making plays. It was Arkansas, but I just loved – his preparation that he obviously had done in the week leading up to that game as a backup because he had no inclination that he was essentially going to play that entire game at Christian Harris's spot. But then Harris goes out on the first play from scrimmage and they don't miss a beat with Moody in there. And not just in terms of his physical attributes, but he was engaged, locked in ready to go. He was ready to play mentally as much as he was physically. And that to me was a sort of defining moment for him and his development and saying, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I can handle this. I can play at this level. I can handle everything that comes with it. And even if he's not starting, there's a certain freshness, you know, that, you know, a lot of players in the NBA will be better six man than a starter. Jalen will come in and that energy he brings. And I think that's why we noticed him because he's playing, you know, he's playing lights out 100%, given everything he's got. 
towards the tail end of a season where everybody else was sort of banged up and dragging. This is a guy that chased the ball, ran the ball down, made hits, physical guy. So I think when you look at him, I think he's going to impact, especially on certain plays, when you need him to you know, play sick him, find the ball, get the ball. I think this is a guy that's going to be able to do it. And also Terry Arnold, he's a guy I'm really, really, really curious to see how this season pans out for him because I know he's been worked at cornerback star and safety. I know he's one of the most versatile guys you're going to see. Maybe um, some Minka maybe parallels yeah, drawn to him. You know, and anybody that listens to the show, Minka's like my golden child for Alabama. He's <laughs> like, just like Minka encompasses, there's a many of my chose Minka, yeah. but there's many that encompass everything that you sort of want from a player at Alabama. And I think Terry fits that mold as well. I agree with you. He could play different positions. He's smart any position he wants to. You know, I always felt Minka would have been a, you know, a, you know, a hell of a wide receiver had he chose to. Um, I think Arnold has those offensive skills as well, a good basketball player. So I think he's going to come in and push for a little play in time. Um, and, of course, the experience and knowing the defense will factor in heavily there. We've got some personals for Tim that we're going to pose to him as we push down the backstretch, the front, is it the front? I guess it's the backstretch. Yeah. At a horse race. Hey, um, Tim, where are you at in the old fantasy football prep? I asked that because I got the notification that the league is firing up and my team was terrible last year. And so, uh, you know, I'm one of those that I may not even have a keeper. I may just throw them all back. But are, are, how deep are you into fantasy football prep with NFL teams reporting? Some teams reporting for camp starting this week. You know, I'm ter- you know, you, I love fantasy sports. I like I like the research. It also goes with the job we do because I love Major League Baseball. I love you know NBA and I love the NFL. So it sort of goes with everything we do, anyways. But I mean, I've been behind baseball season. I was sucking. We took that two-week trip to, to D.C., New York, and Boston, and I just really didn't really pay attention, dug out of a hole a little bit. So I'm just now sort of getting my bearings in baseball where half the league's injured, it seems. And then, um, yeah, I got the football notification, and Shay Dixon on the LSU site and some others were texting me, pumped up. We have a 24-7 sports league, money league. I think we pay $100 each. Winner gets $800. Second place gets 400 and it's made up of 24-7 people throughout the network. Obviously, it's got an Alabama flavor, Alabama bump in the uh, fantasy league as well. So, But um, I haven't prepped at all. I know <laughs> I know the rookies. You know, I know those guys. I haven't looked at my team. If you have the first pick in our draft, who are you taking? With no keepers, everybody's available or from – Yes, you could. No keepers. You just could take anybody you want. Yeah, I guess, you know, I want to say Pat Mahomes, but I feel like running backs the answer. I just can't think of a running back. Derrick Henry, probably in a non-keeper league would be. When would you you take Saquon Barkley coming off that injury? I would, you know, I would, you know. Still high? I probably would have taken him higher till they said, are you going to be ready for the season? And he said, we'll have to wait and see when he said that. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> no, I, no, I know that is not fourth round Saquon. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you. We'll see you next year. Barkley. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think running backs carry the most points in our league, but um, so I feel like Derek Henry would be a good one. Dalvin cook's a really good player, obviously for the Vikings, exciting guy. Um, it's going to be interesting. The Alabama guys, you know, they, they're, they're playing. They really don't have the ideal quarterback situation except possibly for Waddle. You've got Ruggs is out there with pass, punt, and Carr, who's upset about everything. You know, they, I, they, I watched them every game. They could not throw deep to Henry. He, it, it, they could not throw yeah, them. Yeah, he can't get it out there. No, it's, just, it's not happening. Judy, uh, he had his own problems with a few drops, but also not an ideal situation at quarterback. It's going to be really interesting with Smitty. Is Jalen going to be the guy? I was reading last week. There's talk that the uh, Eagles could trade for Deshaun Watson. And, you know, that's a high-risk, high-reward proposition. Texans can't get a lot for Watson right now, I don't believe. And um, there's a chance he's clear when all said and done. You don't know what's coming with this. So if you can roll the dice, get a low – 
you know, pay a low price for him. And obviously there was problems with Watson and the Texans, but can you imagine Watson to Smitty in the Eagles system? Yeah. Be there's also was talk of Aaron Rodgers to Denver. I know Jerry Judy voted yes. So <laughs> you know you look at these Alabama running wide receivers, and you want some of them to really you know land with the white right quarterback prospect, especially Rugs. I mean, it's, I'd love to see Rugs with a guy like Pat Mahomes. You know, oh no doubt, ball yeah. chances down the field and get the Tyreek Hill treatment. Yeah, yeah. how long the Raiders stick with Carr? I mean, there's a. Uh, obviously he's a serviceable, serviceable quarterback, but it's not really a big bang. And, you know, watching them, they were, they were relegated to a lot of short passes. Doesn't really work as well for rugs. You know, it's harder to take that, that quick pass the distance, but fantasy wise, it's going to be interesting. I think Waddle's going to be a pretty popular player. I mean, how could you not like him? Um, when it comes to that, Jamar Chase is going to be a pretty popular player with Joe Burrow coming back. So you're going to see some exciting – anytime there's a lot of offensive guys drafted, the fantasy draft tends to be more fun because you do have four or five first-round quarterbacks. You've even got second-round quarterbacks you know, that, are, that are going to be available in the Davis kid from Stanford that went to Texans. you got Kellen Mond. Uh, so you had a lot of high quarterback drafted. You had a lot of – again, second year in a row, you've had a lot of wide receivers drafted high. NBA Finals could be a wrap tonight up in Milwaukee. Do you think the Bucks finish off the Suns tonight? And I don't know. That series is so odd. I do yeah. sense a certain confidence in the Bucks right now because um, they really look to be on the ropes several times in these playoffs. They look to be backpedaling. And just these last two or three games, they just seem to have a lot of confidence brewing uh, you know, and, and for me, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really have a rooting interest in this. I love this series because nobody has a ring. Everybody's playing for a ring. Neither of these teams are super teams where they, I mean, Bucks drafted most of their guys, Suns drafted most of their guys. Um, I love that as opposed to, you know, like the Lakers best two players are for somewhere else. The Nets best three players are for somewhere else. The soup, that's what I consider a super team. So I haven't really had a lot of rooting interest, but you know, with, with Giannis, it, it's hard not to root for the guy, you know, everything mm-hmm. about him. Did you see his little speech about how he prepares day? Right. I mean, that's just yeah. insane. I don't know if he stole that from somebody. But if not, he's he's one of the best philosophers ever. I mean, well, he is. I mean, he's Greek. Oh, so, there, now you he, know, it's absolutely his. That's supposed such, to do that. Tim. That was such a deep thought where he was basically like looking at the past is pride. You're bragging on how good you are looking at the future is uh, what was the future? Arrogance about how great you're going to be. But looking at the, the now is humility, knowing what the job right. you do and you've done nothing. Very deep thoughts, you know, all that you see, all the work he does in the community, you know, overseas, he does it here. I saw some little girl drew like a comic book for him and gave it to him. And he, he was at a signing at a school and he came around the desk to hug her and she was just boohooing. And he was like consoling her. She, yeah, he's very so, genuine, you she, know. Just just comes off. Yeah, very much. So it's hard to root against him. But that said, I really like this. Uh, I like the Suns team. I think Booker's one of the best. Stars in the NBA. Everybody's sleeping on, you know, sleeping on the, the Suns' big man. Uh, he's he's certainly one of the best in the NBA. And you know, a lot of people didn't really don't really you don't really get a lot if you're not really dedicated to watching sports. You don't really see the Suns a lot because they're hardly ever on TV. Up, they will be obviously going forward, but they really aren't on TV much. And if they are on TV in Alabama, they're tipping off at nine thirty our time. A lot of people are winding up their night. Me, I stay up late. Always have. So I, I'm very familiar. I'm probably more familiar with the West Coast teams and other teams. You know, last night I was watching a tiny pitch seven innings and then a reliever came in and gave up uh, two hits and a three and a homer. So to blow to blow his uh, his opportunity for a win. But um, so it's good to see the nation gets to see these guys and how good Booker is and what all the fuss is about. It just feels like it's trending towards the Bucks because. Giannis in these last couple of games with the block late in game four, I guess it was. And then the lob in Phoenix in game five from Drew Holiday to slam the door on that Suns comeback. Just kind of feels like it's his series at this point. Kind of like Kawhi with the Raptors a couple of years ago. But um, 
We'll see. I'm with you. I, I, I go into tonight, and it feels like the Bucks are going to put a lid on it. They're talking about maybe, by the way, 65,000 Milwaukee fans outside the arena tonight up there. And that area, I guess they call Deer Park or something. But uh, crazy, crazy interest right now up there in uh, in Wisconsin for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so, Tim, it is summer. You know, things change in summer with the temperatures, although it's been more of a rain season in Alabama than anything else. Just incredible rain totals since the first of the year. But certainly here in what seems like the last month or so, it's just been an underwater type of situation. But when it comes to your diet, are you a seasonal eater? In other words, do you eat certain things in the summer? Do you drink certain things in the summer that maybe you don't eat or drink any other time of the year? Yeah, in the summer, it's the only time I really drink any form of lemonade, strawberry lemonade or any of that. I'll definitely drink that. I'll have stuff that has watermelon in it more than I will the rest of the year. Um, although I've sensed for years I'm a little bit allergic to it because my tongue goes slightly numb when I eat watermelon, like consistently, which is kind of awkward, but uh, still is good. Still is very good. It's done that since I was a kid. So I eat that kind of stuff. I'm really about the seasonal menu. So like when the <laughs> when the when the peach milkshake hits Chick-fil-A, I'm in. So <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be during peach season. So I'm more of a seasonal eater. But yeah, in the summer I think it matters more to me. And I am more of a soup and broth and, and uh crock pot kind of guy. Our whole family is in the winter. So mm-hmm. I think we're gonna roll with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got those frozen lemonades at uh Chick-fil-A that are outstanding too. If you haven't had one of those, give one of those a shot, man. They're really, really good. I'm probably, if we're talking about the occasional cocktail, probably more of a vodka guy in the summer, whereas it's bourbon slash whiskey other times of the year. Um, I keep it to a a moderate um, amount of intake. So don't worry about me there, but probably more vodka than anything else or wine or anything like that. And, uh, have a right now, you know what I'm into? I told the wife, maybe number four is on the way, but this summer I've been all about ice cold dill pickle spears for a treat during the day. Just go in there, the Mount Olive, you know, dill pickles and the spears, not the whole pickles, just a spear, get them ice cold. I've I've eaten a ton of those this summer. I, I don't know what's up. But uh, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I mean, I am, you know, I think I've figured it out more as I got older. I am a like, I am a, a nature of a creature of habits. Like I'll mm-hmm. eat, I believe in a base, you know, obviously a hot dog at a ball game or eating this when I'm in this city. That's one of the reasons we love to travel is like, I try to focus on that menu. Like I still get irritated. We go to Popeye's and, you know, I mean, if you go, I don't want to go to KFC and get a hamburger. It drives me crazy when people do <laughs> Simple stuff like that. I don't allow my children to go to Red Lobster and get the pasta. Yeah, absolutely. What in the world? We could have went to, you know, we could have went to Olive Garden if that was your choice. So um, I am, I am getting pretty picky about that. We're going to France, and Heather and I are going to France in um, August before the season because make up for that uh, missed year last year. And we're we've been picking out menus. We're killing the French. I'm not going over some stales. You gonna eat snails? I will, over I've there, never eaten snails, but I will try them. And I've always wanted to try them because of the scene in uh, Trading Places. Remember that escargot <laughs> scene? There's yes, escargot scene with, with the with Eddie Murphy, the great yeah. Eddie Murphy, when he was skinny Eddie in his prime. Uh, hilarious! Everything everything he did was funny, and he wanted the escargots. So uh-huh. we definitely try that. You know the funny thing? We went to. Uh, <laughs> We went to Italy two years ago, and it was all oh, we're going to eat Italian. We're going to eat Italian, and we were eating there. We were eating a lot of Italian. We loved it. But one morning we were going on a tour, and uh, um, we're going to meet the tour group, and we walked by a hamburger place. And the whole day, I thought about the hamburger and French fry place. And that was a French hamburger shop. It wasn't, you know, it was not McDonald's, but it was a French. It was a straight up cheeseburger and straight up French fries. I thought about it all day, but I didn't say anything. And then when we were walking back, my wife said, you know what I've been thinking about all day? And I was like, this is why I married her. <laughs> <She got this laughs> we stopped. 
split a cheeseburger and fries. They called them something beside. They would not call them French fries, which I found petty as shit and hilarious. Freaks. I yeah. love they would not call them French fries. Italy's like, nope, not working yeah. here. Uh, they're sort of box cut. We had that, a real Coke in a glass, so it was, it was pretty funny. It was one of the best cheeseburgers I've ever had. So um, I'm going to be challenged this weekend, dude. The uh, the aforementioned Chicago trip from a few weeks ago got postponed because of Elsa. And so uh going to be in the Windy City this weekend. And, you know, I can't. I can't guarantee that my dietary behavior will be what it needs to be. So uh, we'll just see how that goes. You know, it is what it is. Gibson Steakhouse. At our, our, our age, it is what it is. Not here for a long time, Tim. Here for a good time. Yes. Hey, um, one other thing as we wind down here on the Bama online podcast, are you dependent on sunglasses? It seems like people are either really, really dependent on sunglasses. Can't leave the house without them or don't really uh, prescribe or subscribe to them at all. I do not need sunglasses at all. Wow. Any circumstance with all the baseball that you go to, you don't wear sunglasses in the summer. The the baseball player came going to, College to play baseball, he refuses to wear. He never needs them either. I don't know if we don't. Now, when I played baseball, I couldn't wear them and play. See, he, he never wears them in a game. He still. I do- tried flip downs. That was a disaster. Yeah. You know? what the hell, that was just yeah. That, that was old school, Daddy. That was, that was old, Andre that, Dawson. That was at, old at Wrigley days. Yeah. So no, he doesn't need them, but I don't need them. You know, I don't. I don't use them. I don't know why. Um, there hasn't really been a reason, you know, when I roofed, when I was running a roofing company, I definitely used them um, to some degree, but more, it's more of the glare that gets me than anything. But what I don't like about sunglasses is when you take them off, you have that after effect. You know what I mean? Everything yeah. like if you've been out on a hot day, a bright day, a really sunny day, when you take your glasses off and your life, life, uh, wife turns on a lamp, you're like, God, you know? <laughs> it's blinding me. Get my sunglasses. I'm so bad. I, I I'm so sunglass dependent. I'll wear them. Like if I go into a grocery store or something to pick something up, I don't even make the switch because I'm I'm prescription uh, based. So I, I, if I had to lose my indoor glasses or my sunglasses, if I had to go with just one of them, I would pick my sunglasses. That's how I, I'm I'm dependent on those sunglasses I, and. 20 years ago, I couldn't stand sunglasses, but I got into the routine of wearing them, and I think my retinas, See, that's my retinas what, like I, I agree with that because there are days where I wear sunglasses. When I don't, my, everything's intensified. It's like I took a hit of acid to me. I'm Corey Hart. You yeah. Know? yeah, I wear you know, like I, I wear them at night. I think yeah. the last time I really wore them, we wore them at the beach a couple of years ago. And it was really was – that Was that an archaic reference or what, Corey Hart? sunglasses at night i mean that's like 35 years ago or so tim famous that's a famous one (laughs) but i wore them at the beach one day because it was extremely like somebody i can't remember what one of the people were with said wear these sunglasses i was like because i just made a comment it's bright and i put them on and then the rest of the time you know how white like destin is it's got like a bright everything sort of beaches and everything yeah pops the rest of the day it was sort of magnified for me so yeah not really a sunglass guy well, we know you are a BOL guy, and uh, we certainly appreciate all the insight that you provide for us both there at BOL and here on the podcast as well. By the way, not sure if you caught it last night, but the Ultimate Team special on the 2020 Alabama Crimson Tide on the SEC Network, part of the SEC Storied Series, that dropped. Not sure if you saw it. Really well done, I thought, and I would encourage anyone to to check it out they did a nice job with that more infomercials for alabama recruiting tim just what nick saban needs they need more positive publicity that's what they they need around here oh it's good stuff though i'm sure it'll be on loop pretty heavily on the sec network the only mistake they really made and i don't think alabama fans minded it they would do the scores for each game and they had alabama 41 Notre Dame 14, it was 31-14. It, sure, it felt like 41-14 maybe for the Irish. It felt like a much bigger gap than we saw. 
I think so. I think so. Well, Tim, I think we're good, man. Always enjoy it. Always a lot of fun catching up with you here on the podcast. And, of course, folks want to join us right there at BamaOnline.com and the Bama Online Roundtable. You talk about really from this point forward, right? And not that it ever totally comes to a halt, but really starts to pick up with SEC Media Days. We're going to transition you right into fall camp. There is a commitment watch, too, to consider for the 2022 class on the recruiting trail. So I think we've got that half-off special right now at BOL. Never a better time to get on board with us. Absolutely. A lot going on. Going to pick up heading into that season. They'll flip the switch to recruiting and maintaining who they've got, pushing for their last candidate. So a lot of stuff's about to be happening. Be sure to join us at BamaOnline.com. We certainly appreciate you joining us here on the BOL podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? Simple as a click or two, absolutely free to you. And if you would leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would certainly appreciate that greatly as well. Tim, take care. We'll talk again soon. All right, brother. Thank you, man. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online podcast. So long, everybody.